0: Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman, everybody, our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're here to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroadcom slash podcast. We'll look through all of them. We really do look through all of them and it's a lot of them, but we'll come through and we'll put them into a feed every week that we, uh, Feel like would be entertaining for everybody and informative above all. So, but before we get into the questions, we have a lot of to-do items to cover. We might not get to the questions today. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We'll so do our
1: best. <laughs> just skip the episode if you don't want to hear about all the other things that are going to make you faster. Why don't you kick it off, Nate? Okay, so I'm going to give an update for my sleep study results. We and this makes you faster because sleep is so important. A lot of people probably have sleep apnea; they don't know it. Um, sleep apnea, for those who don't know, it's when you kind of like hold your breath and you stop breathing at night. Uh, I had a – this has been a long saga. About a year ago, I did a take-home test where they put a machine and you sleep with it in your bed. They measure certain things. It's not as accurate as a, when you actually go to like a place to do a, um, a clinic a clinical study. Where you actually it's like sleep in a bed inside of there the doctor's office, um, but so what they they found in there is I had I did have some sleep apnea it was moderate right on the edge, and I also couldn't breathe through my nose very well so I had my tonsils removed and some um, stuff fixed on my nose, then then a year went by I started to snore and my sleep did not improve at all, I did the at home sleep study or no sorry then I did another at home sleep study results were inconclusive. So then, I got to go into the actual clinical place and do it. This is one where they hook everything up to your brain; they can tell what stage of sleep you're in, um, a whole bunch of stuff. So those results show that my sleep apnea is actually worse than was first measured. Yikes! So this is not so bad—18 events an hour, which is considered moderate, but still though. What's an event? An event is um, having like stop breathing. Okay. Yeah. So this would my 18 events an hour would happen during REM sleep. So they have a little printout and you can see in the first stages that they would happen once in a while, maybe like two or three a minute, which isn't so bad. But then as soon as I went into REM sleep, I would get a ton of events and then I'd get kicked out of REM sleep. And I looked up a little bit. My doctor didn't tell me this, so it might not be accurate, but I looked up online, and I guess when you go into REM sleep, something gets released in your body, and you're, you actually don't move anything. So I think all your muscles relax. So that, that makes sense because the doctor thinks that I have something in my throat collapsing, and that's why I can't breathe. So I was actually only in REM sleep for 6% of the night when I should be in it for 25%. Yeah, so I asked what would change if um, I did hit that 25%, and they said better, um, better mood, and better executive function, and that means executive function isn't really being a
0: CEO; it's more like <laughs> it's very specific. Yeah,
1: <laughs> making uh, decisions day to day and, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, critical thinking. So hopefully that will be improved. Um, I had only three REM cycles, and I should have had four. But the, the crazy thing is, and they only had me do this once during the study, I only actually got to this point, but my wife always says, when you sleep on your back, that's when it's really bad. Mm. And during the study, at like one in the morning, I got on my back and it just happens, you know, not naturally. I just roll over, or it does happen naturally. My score then jumped to 50, which is like
2: pretty severe. So basically every second almost?
1: No, it's, it's uh, 50 times in an, an hour. Oh, sorry, minute So yeah. Yeah. Um, every 12, 11 seconds, I am, I am like not breathing. So that can't be well, good for cycling recovery. No.
0: Uh, one quick question I have on this is how much of the population, I don't know if you know this, but how much of the population actually ends up getting 25% of their sleeping in REM cycles? That's
1: a good question. Uh, we're going to get the doctor on the podcast. We're waiting until my story gets all the way through and then it'll come on. and. He uh, is really knowledgeable, so awesome. it'll be great to have him on. But what? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to what's called a CPAP machine, which is one of those things where it pushes a constant flow of air into you hmm. while you sleep. The best part is every morning it will download the data. It, it uploads it to the cloud and then it downloads the data to my phone. So every morning I get a score of how many like my um, my apnea you know, score, so how many events I have per hour. <laughs> so I can like try to beat it. I talk to the doctor about the, um, tape my mouth shut and he's like, that doesn't do anything. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) somebody, I think tried to kill you,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but actually when you have it, when you do have the, the air pushing through your nose, sometimes they have you, um, do a chin strap, which is the same as, as Mm. taping your mouth because you can get a leak through your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, but he says, let's try without doing that at first. Wow. So I'm hoping I'm going to get so much better sleep and I'm going to smoke you fools. <laughs> I'm <laughs> fools. I'm talking, not any people on the podcast, the two guys in the room with me. Once I, uh, can sleep all the way through the night. So just, what, just wait. What about the snore detection stuff? Oh yeah. So then I also, there's a sleep cycle app I've talked about before, which I measure like I actually use it. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's got like a function, like what your percentage of how well you slept at night. I don't think that does anything. Um, but I do use it to track, like, what time I get in bed and what time I get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And then I keep a constant <clears throat> track um, of that. And I think I pay $1.99 a year to, like, have it sync between phones and stuff. Hmm. $1.99. Wow. Yeah, so it's not that okay, bad. Okay, that's yeah. cheap. Yeah. And they just have a new function out for snore detection, which is you can turn it on, and it's supposed to detect how many minutes you snore, and it will actually record it so you can listen to it. S- it I've okay. used it now maybe uh, for a week since the day it came out, and uh, it hasn't detected any snoring for me. So I don't know if I'm just not snoring loud enough or if I haven't snored. Uh, but Is snoring tied to a decreased quality of sleep? Uh, snoring is a hallmark sign of sleep apnea. Okay. So is if you're uh, overweight, which I'm not overweight. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but having a really big neck circumference. Uh, I think we okay. talked about this before. Uh, yeah. Narrow jaw, which I have. Like the, the doctor talked about instead of CPAP, I could do some surgeries. But they sound... Like way worse than a muscle biopsy because it's like I, they could carve stuff out below what? my tongue to make it so that my tongue can like sit lower,
2: no, no. and then
1: remove no. these other. I guess you have other tonsils below your tongue that they could take out, mm. um, change stuff to my palate, like, and I'd have to go to Stanford to do these because they don't do them in other places. Mm. And anyways, he no. he said for like insurance wise, we have to do a good faith effort on CPAP. But if CPAP works, I might be on that for. Until the rest of my life, or technology changes, and we can wow. do something else. So you'd have to
0: sleep <laughs> with a machine every night.
1: Yeah, and you even take it um, on the road. Yeah. And insurance, like they—if you don't use it, insurance stops paying for it. Well, because like a rental kind of thing.
0: <laughs> um, at least gotcha. that's what
1: it is for this doctor.
0: Jeez. Yeah. And then the the last thing, or not the last thing, but you've also been trying out because so right now in in reno we have pretty bad allergies up here where we live it's high desert we get a lot of pollen that ends up coming through a lot of wind it's really dry air and you've been instead of do you get allergy shots every year no so what do you what have you traditionally done so i'm allergic
1: to everything
0: yeah (laughs) right
1: and i and the reason we're talking about allergies is not just because i enjoy talking about myself (laughs) but because in cycling there's allergy can be a huge limiter. Um, totally. There's a, a Sir Wiggins just got in trouble for this, <laughs> right? He's yeah. like, oh, it's allergens. And that's a common thing that you see at the pro cycling level. They blame on allergens and they get something else. But I think there's a lot of people who suffer from allergies. And I want to share my experience about how you get rid of those. Um, I've had there's a there's a race in Reno in the fall, right when the sagebrush blooms, and I always did horrible at that race. And I actually hmm. like I couldn't breathe deep. My power was like thirty or forty watts less hmm. than it should be. Mm-hmm. It's the Pyramid Lake Triathlon, yeah. And I, I realized that's right in the middle of the sagebrush, right when it blooms every year. Yeah. And I've even DNF that race because I, I couldn't breathe. And someone gave me an inhaler, and that helped. Wow. But what I've I've tried in the past are allergy shots, which are um, You go in, I think, once a week, and you get a a small dose of whatever you're allergic to. And they do this prick test to figure out what you're allergic to. And you have to stay there for 30 minutes because the the shot could give you, put you in the anaphylactic shock, and they'd have to then administer something. So it's a huge time suck, like an hour. But a little insider baseball. Most of Trainer Road, not most, but a lot of Trainer Road was written in that allergy office, like <laughs> six, seven years ago, whatever. Yeah, because I just had to stay there. Right. Um, I've done I've done two rounds of that before. That yeah. did reduce some allergies, but I still have really bad allergies. Yeah. And now they do something. Uh, Euros are probably familiar with it, but they're allergy drops. So they'll give you like actual drops you can put. Um, so they're called sublingual, so below your tongue, and that is the same. The same idea as allergy shots except right. it's virtually impossible you still have to carry an epi pen but to go into the anaphylactic shock because it's going but it's, it's being like absorbed by your skin rather than being injected into you right okay so i just started that i have a dosing phase going up but I broke out in rashes all around my body. Yeah, uh, I've stopped. You guys have seen them pretty bad. Yeah, um, my rear end is much worse. Oh, Do gosh. you guys want to see
0: it? No, no, You're we're sure? good, we're clear. It's like the scar episode. No, all, no? good. Yeah. No, nah, it might be worse. But anyways, <laughs>
1: I am itching like a like a crack addict or something all around. But I just I just wanted. I didn't know that these were available. They're relatively new in the U.S. Um, they're it's an off-label treatment, treatment, so the FDA hasn't approved it yet. So mm-hmm. I my insurance won't pay for it. I'm paying about $70 a month, gets delivered to my house, but if it cures allergies, and I think you're on it for maybe three to five years and then you're just done, totally worth, I think, the money because yeah. allergies can just ruin your life. That's a long treatment cycle, three That's to five really years. Long. I think it is that, yeah, because you, you build up to a maintenance dose pretty quickly and then you just take it all the time and your body eventually learns how to not react to the uh, what's in the... Gotcha. the, the the
0: The Crazy. Yeah. Along the lines of medical things, uh, we've been, I've been chasing down and getting passed from person to person to person on the muscle biopsy thing. And we're pretty close. I think that we have, so we're in contact with a surgical center uh, here out of Reno that has one doctor who has done them before. And she, her office, uh, I still haven't heard from the doctor. I'm awaiting her call, but her office told us that they've. she's never done one for anybody that didn't require some type of medical reason, because ours doesn't really require a medical reason. It's just us, you know. Most of what we do is not. Exactly, exactly right? <laughs> but this is a situation where it's not covered by insurance. It's not a medical reason. Also, it's not a study, and she's only done them with studies or like a medical reason. So uh, her, the whole office is like really hesitant to do it for some reason. should hear from her by next week. Can we just do a study? Isn't it crazy? Let's do a study. Yeah. It's just called a study. Yeah. Well, even then, too, like, isn't it crazy how you go to these places and you're just like, I want this procedure, and and it's tough to do. Like, it's a lot harder than you think. So, We can, um, Chad, I've talked to Jonathan
1: about this, but I figured out a
0: better sport for Jonathan, because we
1: think he's fast twitch (laughs) and a high VO2 max, (laughs) Mm -hmm. boxing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're sending to Cuba.
0: And when you look at me, you just think of a boxer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Send him to Cuba. Every
1: time. Two, three years, ready for the Olympics. There we are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of sports. I'm sure that if I was 100% fast, which I'd be better at. So I certainly haven't picked cycling because I feel like it's the it's the sport that highlights my life gifts or anything else. Like, yeah, exactly. Most. Right. So I just like riding bikes. The other thing we want to talk about is the race that's coming up for you, Nate, your collarbone should be healing. Not really sure it is, but coming it should be healing coming up for us. Yeah. For all of us. Um, and it's going to be your welcome back race after your collarbone. Yes. Welcome back a hundred miles on gravel and they're doing a new route this year. Uh from what I've What's heard What's the race called? It's called Lost and Found, forgive me. Yeah, and it's a gravel grinder up here in Plumas County, I believe. So, it's up north of Lake Tahoe about an hour and a half. And uh this is by Downeyville. And if you're familiar with that region, it's in that area. It's not known for being a technical race or anything else like that. It's just uh, dirt roads and the dirt roads we have appear broad. They're usually washboarded. A lot of them, they'll have some rocks in them as well. Uh, but they're occasional. It's not like we're dealing with rock gardens from a mountain bike race or anything. They're just rocks that are, you know, strewn throughout the road. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a long day, a hundred miles on mixed surface. It's going to be a long one. And, I'm really looking forward to it. We picked out some tires. We're gonna go with a uh, 45C front tire. It's gonna be the WTB Riddler. It has super tiny knobs in the center, and they're really low profile. But then it has taller side knobs. So then, if you're off camber or leaning into a turn, you have more traction. So,
2: for those who don't convert centimeters real well, how big a tire is that? If it were a mountain bike tire, measured it, in inches, 1.8. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'd be probably closer to a, actually a 2.2. Oh, like really? This tire will measure. Like fatty. Yeah, oh. yeah. Two. It's it's like a mountain bike tire from a few years ago in cross country, tires are constantly getting wider, so it's a pretty wide one. And we're running a wider tire up front than we are in the back. And this is like a BMX thing, you see that you saw this a lot back in the day with BMX, and you still see it now. But basically, with more volume in the front, uh, we're able to run a slightly less pressure in the front, we're able to have a wider contact pa- patch, and more control. So that's the point with that is to run a little wider tire up front,
1: and also though. It has to do with the bike, right?
0: Yeah, we can clear it in the front. So What bikes are we using? We have specialized crux. The fork has a really like substantial space. The, mm-hmm. the rear triangle is not quite the same. The rear portion of the frame, we can probably fit like a 35C, 37C, and anything more than that, and it might get a little tight, especially if we're going through bumpy terrain where we might be flexing our wheels or anything like that. Things could rub. So uh, we're going to be running a slightly narrower tire in the back. Chad and I want to run one called the... The equinox, I believe, is the name of it. Yeah, and, WTB. Yep. And it's by a WTB as well. And that one has it's almost like a slick. It's like a textured surface on the top. And then on the side it has side knobs. And uh, what's the is it thirty-five or thirty-seven? Thirty-five. Or okay. this one's a thirty-four, but it measures a slightly larger, reportedly. Okay. So that's what Chad and I want to run. But Nate, you want to run a Riddler because it has more on there. Yeah, yeah, you
1: guys are crazy because you are <laughs> sacrificing, like, you're worried about rolling resistance mm-hmm. on a race that you're not going to win on, like, the dirt, dirt roads, right? Yeah. Like, so you just get a little bit more. Um, Over 100 stuff. miles, though. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah, so yeah I mean, distance.
1: Um, so let's mm-hmm. describe the race for a second, okay? Well,
2: let's also consider the snowpack that's up there right now. I don't know what that's going to be like, that's going to lead to muddy roads, but super big or uh, knobby tires with narrow clearance in the back could be an issue that's a good point actually oh, well you because- know well, those slicks will be an issue in mud too <laughs> yeah this is true <laughs> but yeah. I don't know that they'll Glom onto the mud quite quite as that's, well.
0: I think that what we'll be able to do is with so flex from the tire. I'm sure it'll blo- it'll knock out the mud eventually. Uh, if it's muddy, no matter what tire we have, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a bit of a mess. A mess. And that's probably the case in a few spots because I think we go over some passes that are over seven thousand feet. Hmm. Uh, so <coughs> that's if we go over right- some snow, you guys are gonna be also <laughs> at, at five thousand feet right now. There's still banks of snow
1: here. So mm-hmm. I bring my fat bike. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So the, this race, I talked to somebody on the Cliff Bar team who did it. And he says that you all start and you're in a, uh, there's like a peloton that goes. Mm-hmm. So you first start and looking at the videos, they're hauling, right? Mm-hmm. And then it breaks up a little bit. And maybe there's a fast peloton and a slow peloton. Then a bunch of people just kind of doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. So in that peloton, dirt, gravel roads, we have a whole bunch of snow. Sounds exactly like Chico,
0: because it does, Chico, right? Because no.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, it had a lot of water, right. and it just has to create one little like hidden um, pothole. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the whole same situation happens. So I am scared to death of this race right now. I do. I honestly don't want to do it because I am so like it's the exact same situation. And even in the, in the video, their promo video has some guy stopped on a downhill and some guy crashing into him. Like, I don't know why the guy stopped on the downhill and didn't pull off more, (laughs) but just some dude stopped on the downhill and some other guy hits him. Nate is sufficiently freaked out. Yes, I am super freaked out. So I think the only way, and I have to do this because I'm going to say to do it and then my competitive nature is not going to let Mm -hmm. me do this, but I need to let the race start, time a little watch, give it two minutes. Just go a hundred miles solo, and maybe I'll catch some guys,
2: and I'll ride with them. Just start by because they started us in different groups, right? They got like the racing group, and then there was a gap, yeah. and then the the more uh, recreational riders. And it's more like I think they all in uh, the video.
1: I, I don't, don't know, really that they know. roll at the same time. I think they give them. A they bit roll of at the same time, as far as I know.
2: <laughs> Here.
0: I think that that strategy is overreacting myself. There's different distances, Chad. So that's probably what you're seeing. 60 and a set. Yeah. 35 or something. So I I think that's an overreaction. Uh, Number one, there will be potholes. Absolutely. Because these are dirt roads, right? Um, That will happen. Uh, But I think that it's very different than a road race. So... When you're at the pointy end of this race, sure, it might be really intense and really difficult. I guarantee you, the majority—and I, I feel safe saying the majority of the people on that race—are not going to be looking to drop guys, push them off the edge of the road. It's not like a road race. No, so. I don't
1: need that. I mean, even if we're going 16 miles per hour, mm-hmm. it just takes one guy not to be paying attention in front of me. That's to always the case. They hit that no, because <laughs> on the road it's different. The road there's mm-hmm. not. As many giant potholes, like in the road, you hit a bump or you hit something,
2: yeah, it's but, uh, fine. You're going to be okay. Any number of other things can go wrong. I mean, mass start racing is inherently dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's relying on everybody else to do everything right. So, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. So there's, I'm not saying it's not inherently dangerous. I'm saying on the one to 100 scale of danger, it is much more likely on a bunch of people riding on this gravel with the <coughs> potholes that could be hidden like in Chico.
2: Yeah.
1: Than compared to another race, we're like on,
2: we're on burlier bikes too, so those same mm-hmm. potholes aren't going to have the same effect on our bikes as they are on a narrow. Wheel. I I think this pothole that took me out, but I didn't
1: really see it. I just saw that guy go in it. It was deep enough to scorpion him, and unless he had a
0: shock. Hmm. It would uh, on a cross bike. Uh,
1: the same thing would happen.
0: Well, the good news is you won't encounter that pothole in this race. <laughs> that,
1: that exact pothole will not be there exactly. unless it's stopped you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, someone moved it. So I can, ask it you,
0: I can ask you a question, Nate. Is there anything I can to do to provide or put you more at ease, or is that just something you need yeah, to do? The,
1: the forty seven, the new wheel choice or tire choice is good, but I'm just. What I should do is just say, I'm going to ride 100 miles by myself and yep. have a lot of fun. Yep.
2: It's all about your strategy. Just yep. just sit back, let the group go away. Don't feel like you have to be with a group. Just mm. ride it at your leisure. The one and, thing that and will...
0: One thing really quick, sorry about this, but and one th- for everybody listening, we just want to be clear. Nate is doing a race that he has anxiety about. We're not saying that this is like a sound pacing strategy to get a PR or anything, <laughs> no. right? So I just want to make that clear. But this is for you managing the anxiety you mm-hmm. have for this race and the, and the and the perceived danger of the race. This I, isn't like, a, Nate's got a strategy to PR. So. No. And, and it's like, uh, two, I
1: feel like I should jump back on the horse, you mm-hmm. know, and like get into it. And mm-hmm. I think in my mind, if I rode that hundred miles all by myself and there was support and whatever, mm-hmm. I'd be perfectly fine. And I trust myself to mm-hmm. not just,
2: just make it a fun day. It doesn't have to be a competitive one.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that. And hopefully if I'm fast enough, I'll be able to pass people to the whole race, which is because the people drop. Exactly. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And then I'll probably meet some guys and ride with them and ride side by side and just talk to them,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: right? Yeah. Or kind of make it a, a TT. Yeah. So that's my strategy. What about you two?
2: Um, I think I already told you guys my strategy is basically to race as long as I feel like racing. And then when I don't, I'm just going to come back and collect
0: you. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll be one of those guys who chats <laughs> with you for the remaining miles. <laughs> Cause this is a gravel grinder. It's, it's not like, um, it, you'll find that mentality in the race, right? Like there are a lot of people, it's not like a road race where really, I mean, you show up to a group ride or you show up to a road race and they have two very different objectives yeah. but with a gravel race like this. You get both of those objectives in one event. There are a lot of people doing this thing mm-hmm. because it's just an event to do. So that's the kind of the nice thing is you can have a hybrid day. Like it's nice that. to go
2: out with the front group. You know your way up the road, so anything happens and you need to drop back. There's going to be plenty of people to ride with. The
0: uh, the top
1: guys too who do this race are fast, very fast. Carl Decker. I uh, we talked to Pete and I named off. I was like, Pete, you should do it. And I named off the like top ten place finishers, and he was like, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And he was like. Oh, wait, those guys are really fast. I can't win this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's rough. I'm going to do my absolute best to stay at the front. Um, uh, I'm not going to do any moves to mix things up in the beginning uh, unless the pace is abnormally slow, but I'm going to be wise. Those guys, I doubt it. I doubt it'll be slow, right? Um, It's 100 miles, too. It's a long day. You don't want to
1: mix it up early.
0: This is 100 miles of gravel. You you can't really run like a ratio on this of how much, you know, in terms of wear and tear fatigue or anything anything else you know gravel versus road how much more tiring it is but this much i do know it is a lot more tiring when you are Mm -hmm. constantly dealing with bumps and also the uh, you carry more tension through your body for a number of reasons because of obstacles coming up but also because you're trying to maintain traction in a lot of situations and the way you maintain traction is through you know positioning your body and managing the torque going through your legs and you do that with more tension in your body so it really does it, it fatigues you a lot so it's it's not the type of day where you want to go out and be a hero if you know that you would just be lucky to even keep the main group and or the front group in sight, which is my situation. So it's going to be a long day. Yep. So I'm going to be sticking with those guys as much as I can and trying to keep my nose super clean from the wind. Uh, that's the goal. Uh, the one thing that I think is going to be tough on this is going to be nutrition. Yeah. Because jarring with your body, too, is another thing that um, can that really does affect the digestive process when mm-hmm. you're jarring constantly like that, yeah. and there's more fatigue going on with your body. I, I don't, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do this much. I, I think that with the front pack, it's going to be hard for me to choke down a rice cake. Uh, but who knows? Maybe I would have time for that. But those usually are just saviors for me on long, big days like that. Just some real food uh, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. helps with me um but so those are bacon egg soy uh like soy sauce and um ginger and brown sugar that's what and then rice and it's a little rice cake it's in the scratch labs cookbook those are like my go-to that i usually bring i should pay you to like bring me a few extras yeah. Because they're, they're a really pain good. to build That's or to, to make. And, and also, uh, get medium grain rice if you're looking for which rice to get. And you want to be able to... Um, well, why not short grain? So I guess medium grain actually bonds the best, they say. They're so I've been told by Scratch Labs. They say that it's the stuff that bonds the best together. So there's also a process that you do with the rice. And I can't think of it right now. But basically what you want to do is you also want to, like, strain the rice and after you after you cook it. And they strain that, and then I think they let it soak for a bit. Uh, there's a whole process to it to make the rice really bond together, and that is the biggest thing with your rice cake. So bonding, so making sure that you look at the rice. And if you go online, there are a bunch of tutorials on this about how to do it. I would think you'd want to make like sushi rice. That's ideal. What grain, you would want to have:
1: rinse it a lot, get all the starch out, and, and yeah. cook it like that. But you
0: would think, right? Um, I'm no pro. Yeah. The one thing that uh, also is use parchment paper, so it's foil on one side and then paper on the other you can get it on Amazon for really cheap or at any like cooking or grocery store but that stuff it's also a little bit more substantial so it's really easy to fold things up and mm-hmm. not make it a hassle when you're trying to write. I had a right,
1: problem finding it. that stuff and it was um, Martha Stewart makes a brand of, mm-hmm. that we buy off Amazon and that works well.
0: Yep it works really well so that's that's ideally what I'll be eating. I'll probably bring with me too I'll, I'll bring some uh, I'll bring a pro bar pro bars they're meal bar that doesn't seem to mess with my stomach and that's something that i could easily take a bite on and then put it back in and not just eat the whole bar all in one thing you know they're pretty big um but i'd be able to to keep things trickling through with that maybe some chia seed gel that stuff is so you're low you're such a flower it's so low <laughs> calorie but i know it won't mess up my stomach and that is one thing that has me worried all the bumping and jarring uh that it could just magnify any potential issues i have so mm. i'm trying to err on the side of caution with are that are there aid stations with water yes there are oh, lots. Yeah, cool. mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. i think with food too oh and I'll be using scratch. I always use that
1: for but my, if you're in the mix. front group, you're going to stop. No one's stopping. right. I mean, no, maybe they're going to have,
2: they'll Hopefully. probably hold it out.
0: Grab a bottle sure. though. But, but the, the food, I mean, th- I mean there's I don't no threat of running out of water.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's no threat. That's the concern. Out of water. Yeah. 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 So,
0: so food though, I think that we've got to carry food sure. with us. Chad, what are you going to do? A couple bottles of super starch and
2: just cram a bunch of fig bars in my pockets. Hmm. Nature's bakery fig bars. Any,
1: are you going to, You are you guys going to target any calories per hour?
2: Probably not. I still haven't decided my approach. I think the fast group's going to be faster and I'm going to want to work. So I think I'm going to recognize early, recognize early that that's not going to be the group I'm staying with. So it's going to be really easy to stay on top of my nutrition.
0: It would be hard for me to bring down like 250 calories an hour of the type of food that doesn't mess up my stomach. I usually have to eat more of it. The stuff that's more calorie dense, uh, a lot of the like manufactured stuff like goose or whatever else, it tends to mess up my stomach and it's kind of a pain because you can get so many calories out of so little. So that's the tough thing about being in the front pack. I'm not sure the pace will allow me to really take in 250 calories an hour, but I've noticed success in terms of maintaining energy on long days. when I can take in roughly 250 calories an hour. Yeah. There, there is an expiration point with that though. That's because, not too bad. I mean, that's what three gels. Yeah. Like three gels. And if I took three gels early in that race, I would be a mess toward <laughs> the end. So unfortunately, but yeah. And all your genetics, so your stomach. <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah. Thank
1: so you, Chile. Yeah. I'm going to take like uh, probably 400 calories an hour. I was going to be six hours. So I'm going to have that on my body mm-hmm. through uh, like the pink lemonade, honey stinger chews, mm-hmm. honey stinger waffles. Can do that stuff. And, uh, whatever else i feel like i know something like that but oh and um, bonk baker bars i like those too
0: you those historically have an iron gut too i am
2: iron gut yes yeah. Yeah, i can't eat the the high mm. sugar the maltodextrin all that stuff it just uh makes me queasy
0: yeah, I tried that on the, our, so uh, for Sea Otter, I was down there and we did, uh, we like we mentioned, I think we mentioned on the last episode, but we rode a group of us for an event called Chef Cycle for No Kids Hungry, which is pretty awesome. There's chefs all around the country right now riding and people pledge money to them and uh, they've been riding and racking up the miles, so you pledge per mile and they're getting close to their $2 million goal, which is pretty yes. awesome. So really cool event, but a group of us rode from San Francisco to, to Carmel, so it was and 40 miles and it was paced really well. We had Ted King, Andrew Tolanski and, uh, you know, Yuri Oswald, <coughs> Jesse D Anthony, like really solid riders, uh, up at the front. Uh, and we were all up there taking turns, but they turned, they pulled for the majority of the ride. So the pace is pretty manageable and everyone's stuck together, but I had some of the little, I think it, I think they were like a ginger ale cliff blocks. earlier on. And I felt really bad for a while with those things. And then once I, after that I ended up having a rice cake and that ended up switching things around a whole lot. Like once I started, once that started to kind of process through and I got some real food, I felt a whole lot better. So, um, but yeah, that's the goal. 250 calories if I can. Cool. Uh, Uh, I think what, how long do you think this race is going to take us? I think it's going to be over five hours. Oh no, it's for sure. Like it's going to be like a six six and a half day, six, seven.
1: Yeah. I think it's six and a half. Yeah. It depends on what group you're in, but it could be six or seven hours.
0: Yeah. It's going to be going to be a long one. You
2: you don't think the league group can do it in round five.
0: Uh, look Maybe. at the results. I yeah. want to say it's like yeah. five 30 is the top. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. the winner, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm thinking that I'll be definitely around six and I'm just possibly gonna, on the North side bank on a seven hour day then. That's yeah. what I'm banking on. Seven yeah. hour day. It's probably a good way to do it. Right. Uh, cause then at least you're prepared for mm-hmm. that. If things do go bad, Guys, we buried the lead. We did. <laughs> we buried the lead. So bad. What, what do we do on Monday? Uh, we got our Dexa scans. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we should pull up the, how fat are we? I have it up right here. Okay. You do. Okay. Well then, Nate. You relay the data. Okay. And so, it won't bring excuses. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone
1: knows, you probably know if you're a long-time listener, but I'll give a brief brief overview. We get our body fat scanned every now we're going to do it every quarter, which is DEXA, which is the gold standard. It actually shoots x-rays through you and figures out your bone density or your weight of your bones, how much fat you have, and then it calculates what your lean mass is
0: one thing on that really quick sorry to interrupt it doesn't actually like scan your lean mass it uses the two other measurements to then decide what your lean mass is correct yeah. that's okay. why i said calculate yeah yeah i just want to make sure yeah, that that's was clear. understood yeah
1: but it doesn't measure doesn't it measures more than just your subcutaneous fat which is the fat below your skin which is like what fat calipers do so when you do mm-hmm. fat calipers it's just measuring that it measures your intermuscular fat so to see if you are a ribeye or a sirloin, <laughs> and then uh, it also measures your visceral fat, which is the fat around your organs, and uh, that's is like the worst kind of stuff that can kill you. Mm-hmm. So normally, your well, the, the percentages that you're about to hear are much higher than you would normally assume that someone would have. About double. Yeah, when compared uh, with calipers. Not not double, but it's well, we're about to say it. It's, it's enough where I have to tell everyone I'm not really that bad. <laughs> Although this time I got a little fatter. So let's start with uh, our flower, Jonathan. Okay. Jonathan, you actually got skinnier again. He doesn't
0: waver much though. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I don't. Eh. I, so His
2: fluctuations by, by comparison to ours are pretty small.
0: They are smaller. And last year I actually was, last year was my leanest point around this year or around this time of year. And I was what I would call deprived at that point. <laughs> so I was not eating enough. And Overtraining, I was pretty, undernourishing. I was pretty worn down. Um, I was really excited because I had finally gotten a handle on the knee issue at that point, you know, so I was really putting in some time and not eating enough. I was pretty worn down, but I was down to 12% at that point, 11.5.
1: With-
0: and, uh, then with, with, but with fat calipers at 11.5, you're at 6% body 6%, fat. which so is, yeah, that's the term that those, that's the measuring scale that most people are used yeah, to here. Exactly. So that's when they hear something like an athlete is m- below 10 or 12% yeah, and That's
2: just a measure of subcutaneous fat.
0: Yep. yep. Exactly. But so, that's,
1: but if you want to see like, you're like, Oh, what is 6%? Like Google it. And then you'll see someone for 6% and then that's what you should think of Jonathan, not think of him at eleven and a half percent. Right. Correct.
0: Yeah. And, but this time, um, I went back for the previous one we did back in January. I was at 15, 13.8, 13.8. And then now I'm at 13.2% body 13
1: fat. Two, so you lost a little bit of body fat. Yeah. yeah and your calipers are measuring you at 7% mm-hmm. and you weigh 152 pounds.
0: Yeah. So my weight is a little higher, uh, for, a, well, number one, I have pro- I assume about three to four pounds of fat that I could lose right now. If I was to get right down to that knife's edge again, I'm not sure I really want to get there, but I've added slightly more lean mass, uh, in my legs and my glutes and also my upper body and in my core, because I've been doing more training with that last year. I didn't do a whole lot of that. And I noticed a lot of fatigue in my body at the end of XC races. Cause I didn't yeah, feel like we should I talk enough.
1: about that. There's a question on that. You actually yeah. lost uh, muscle mass in your trunk but gained it in your arms and your legs
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so. and
1: lost a pound of fat.
0: Right. Also, one thing that we should say before we did this is um, you're supposed to do this. Now it won't affect the results wildly, but you're supposed to come in fasted with nothing to eat or drink for four hours prior to getting a scan. And Nate and I adhered to that. Chad, you had coffee only, right? I had black coffee. Yeah, just black coffee. Sinner. So. Sinner, <laughs> sinner. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, fatty. I mean, Chad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Who's leaner than Nate right now? Uh, okay. So, last time. I got a broken collar around. Uh, yeah. Um, last time, Chad was 17.1, and it was a very, very cool day because I was skinnier than Chad, and yeah, I, uh, I, it was awesome. You should have seen, seen him. It's just
0: enough to keep Nate encouraged. You know, got to yeah. throw him a bone every once in a while. Yeah, something like that. You should have seen him going around the office <laughs> that day, cloud nine. Okay. So,
1: this time, Chad's at 15.3%. DEXA yeah. and calipers at 9% body fat, which is in the general population, like a lot of people's goals, 9%,
2: right? Well, like fit people's goals. Yeah, it's like 9%. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, we're not talking like average people. We're talking yeah. fit. Yeah. yeah,
2: I don't feel gross right now, so that's cool. And no. you're <laughs> 184 pounds. Yeah.
1: And what's your height? 6'2". Six 6'2". Two. Six two. So Chad actually lost about three and a third pounds of fat yeah. and gained about three pounds of muscle. That's right. So his <laughs> He only lost about a pound of weight, but it was just fat to muscle. This is a nice swap, yeah. This is a, a good example of why this is so cool because mm-hmm. somebody could be working out hard, mm-hmm. eating better, lifting weights. And the scale doesn't go anywhere. Anywhere. And you're like, this is not doing anything. But I think anyone would be like, yeah, I'll switch that. Three pounds of mm-hmm. muscle, for three pounds of fat. Yeah. Also, each pound of fat – or sorry, each – pound of muscle gains about 50 calories a day burned in mm-hmm. your resting metabolic Basal rate. rate yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's uh, 150 more calories you can either choose to eat or not every, every single beer. day
0: there we that are. That is
2: one more beer. That, that is
1: a, <laughs> a, a weak beer for
2: you.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's not a Chad beer.
2: So, Chad, how did you? Uh, what did you do to do this? Basically, it's just been a lot of weight training. Um, on the bike, has been sprinting. I've even been doing some running, but those have been largely speed-focused also. So mm-hmm. I haven't done a whole lot of endurance stuff. Well, I, I've done some, but typically this time of year, that's... That's more heavily weighted. Basically, I've been hitting the gym. I've just, I I enjoy lifting weights and and I usually, it's the wrong podcast, man. I know I I develop guilt about it and I realize it's kind of counter to my goals on the bike and and it is, but, uh, it's just been too interesting to me lately. We've got a really cool gym here too. Yeah, that doesn't help. So,
1: um, what about your diet? Did you change anything? No, not really. No, you just started lifting weights more.
2: Yeah, that I increased know. your. My, my diet improves just incrementally from year to year, and it's uh, you know I'm still following that track, but there haven't been any major differences. Hmm. So
1: as of right now, Chad is about a actually one year ago he was at 14.5 percent, and now he's at 15.3. Yeah, well. So he's actually gotten worse. His low point though was 11.1. 1. <laughs> <laughs> so although he says his diet has improved year to year, science has not
2: backed that up. Well, no, that 11.1 1 was. I mean, that was performance tanked due to that. Yeah, Yeah, I got light, but I I fell apart. So, you were
0: in a low period with your performance there. I
1: remember that. uh, Yeah, I I think for a day, my power to weight ratio was (laughs) higher than (laughs) chats, which was again
2: another one of those bones.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but let's let's talk about that before we talk about me. Is um, Jonathan, when you got really skinny, it was bad for your performance It was. and Chad, when you lost a lot of weight, it was bad for your performance.
2: And it, it hasn't always gone that way. I've lost weight, but I've done it more smartly and not quite so quickly. And it, and my mm-hmm. performance stayed in line. So what's the smart way you did it? I just took more time to do it. I mean, I did it over the course of about four months as opposed to about four weeks this time. Yeah. And is that because of the DEXA scan? largely in yeah. the pressure mm-hmm. of the podcast, Thank yeah. you public. <laughs> but yeah. I will say, so I talked about adding additional muscle mass being counter to my goals on the bike. That's not entirely true because I went out and did my first crit of the season the other night and I've got more strength. some so more acceleration than I've ever had. So I may be packing a little extra muscle, but I can close gaps way better mm-hmm. than I've ever been able to in the past. And it was mm-hmm. a perfectly flat crit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so if I, and that's kind of the trajectory I'm on this year too. I mean, mm-hmm. we are doing some mountain bike stuff, mm-hmm. but a lot, of the races I'm looking at aren't particularly climbing races.
0: And that, so those mountain bike efforts really do help on a crit. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so there's a lot of overlap between the inter, if you graph the power, there's a lot yeah. of overlap. Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, you want to talk about your low point. Yeah, I, I ended up getting really lean and I was really searching for it. Cause the year before that I was, I felt really good on climbs, uh, like really good. Like I, I could respond to any mm-hmm. attacks that people were throwing to me and then I could give them one back, you know, and I didn't feel that last year. So I thought I just need to get lighter. That was in my mind what I thought I needed to, needed to happen. And I got lighter and it, my climbing was abysmal last year. It was really bad. And I don't know if I was not allowing my body to build up the strength, like you mentioned, Chad, that I needed to be able to snap and respond to attacks or anything else like that. I could still climb well, if it was a long climb and it was consistent, yeah. but those short, hard things I was just not great at. And it also, I, I felt so fatigued that doing VO two work and that really often on really hard mountain bike racing and crit racing stuff stuff that puts a big toll on your body and it was hard for me to recover from that cuz i was so deprived too. So, mm-hmm. i've learned my lesson and i'm not depriving myself of calories. That said, i didn't have any pie, which is good. Oh so, uh, he is I, uh right now he is talking smack about my my mom. I'm not Grandma, talking smack. Grandma Pearson. Your mom's wonderful and Bring she makes pie. delicious pies. But um i've been i'm i haven't been letting myself go in terms of what i eat at all. I'm still controlling that. Um i eat a pretty like protein rich diet and carb blow diet, but I, I just have not been depriving myself of a lot of the meals that I would otherwise. So, um, I had, I had, you know, I'll have a burger or something else instead of having a salad every once in a while. It doesn't, doesn't freak me out.
1: So, okay. So on to me, um, I'm going to preface this with some
0: excuses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I recently, as some of you know, broke my collarbone yes. and I ate more on purpose because I read that building a bone back takes extra calories. And this is not the time for me to try to like be a skinny
2: mini like a Jonathan.
0: Would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 yeah for me sure. too. Yeah. And yeah. in my,
2: the one, in a hobbled state, last thing you want to do is refuse to supply it with the nutrients it absolutely
0: needs to rebuild like Popeye's. <laughs> <laughs> I can, <laughs> I'm just joking <laughs> on that. I'm joking everyone. I can speak to that helping through years of broken bones myself. Do you yes. broken bones? Oh, 18. Uh,
1: Oh, geez. That's another podcast story. Okay.
0: So um,
1: my DEXA scan, last time it was 14.2. This time it was 15.7, which is a lot. Um, I'm within, I gained three pounds of fat. I am now, though, within the standard deviation of how accurate or the, the, the plus or minus accuracy rating of the DEXA scan with Chad. So you can just say we're the same body fat right now. <laughs> you can. Um, my weight is 184 pounds, and some of you might know, but I'm pretty tall. I'm a six foot six. Really? So I'm the same weight as Chad, but four inches, right? Four, five inches? Four. Four inches taller. Um, I just have a lot less muscle. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I lost a pound of muscle and gained three pounds of fat, which is not what you want. Um,
0: it's not ideal. You know it's what? It's not ideal. <laughs> you know what though? That's actually, I mean, that's considering your situation. That's not bad at all. No, I mean, no, no. The, coming back from a broken collarbone. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's and,
1: yeah. and a badly broken collarbone. That's really good. I've been thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, I've been riding a lot, so that helps. But the the problem is my upper body. I can't pick up more than a pound. Mm-hmm. I think now I'm at 10 pounds, but I'm still not trying to pick up anything because I want it to heal. And uh, that just makes the – my my arms actually on the bike, I have these little like um, wrinkles in my arms from <laughs> losing so much muscle. Yeah. It's like, you know, you kind of see those pictures of someone who's obese that loses weight. Mm-hmm. And there's like – it's the, just the beginnings of that. So I really need to hit the gym once I uh, – just so I don't look – to you know, and I can live healthy. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we've talked before about using the Tanita scale. There's a regular sitting and athlete setting. Um and it again went right with everyone's results. On the DEXA scan I was fifteen point seven. That morning on the Tanita regular I was fifteen point nine right in there. Mm-hmm. Calipers, um I'm eleven percent right now. So eleven percent, I think I wanna get down back to nine, mm-hmm. but eleven percent is uh, not so bad. And the Tina athlete had me at ten point six.
2: Yeah. So that and that thing carried across all three of us too yeah.
1: well I Jonathan was, didn't do it.
0: I ended up doing yeah, oh, I didn't okay. enter in the data. I was point one off in both yeah. situations.
1: Yeah. amazing. And it has consistent. tracked the entire time down. I think the only one that's different is when we got really when you two guys got really low, yeah. the calipers didn't track as directly, like the same proportion to DEXA. Mm. Right. Um but I was down from right now I'm pretty as skinny as I was last year in July. But my FTP is higher at that same time, so that's good. And my fattest point when we did the first one was 23.7, which is, did I, do I look that different? No. I look the same, right?
0: You don't look, well, no, you do look thinner now. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, you different. do look thinner. Right.
1: Yeah. You guys should have told me I was getting fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's let's, not our, let's tell the CEO he's getting yeah, fat. Yeah, that's not our place. Hey, <laughs> <our> fat guy. There <laughs> we <are>. go. <laughs> I almost had to bring out the bleeps, Nate, that was close. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Dexa. Oh, and last thing with Dexa scans they're for us, they're $50 a piece at a local medical diagnostic center. If you have such a place in your area, you can look them up. They may have them at a university as well. Uh, or like large hospitals, they may have them there. And they don't require a referral unless you want bone density as well. Yeah. These are commonly used for like osteoporosis Mm -hmm. situations or anything like that. Uh, obviously insurance doesn't pay for our, just our, our, vanity, no. but honestly, so. I
2: don't even think we can get a bone density scan unless we have a general physician's referral.
0: I think so. Regardless
2: of insurance. Right.
0: So if you're curious about getting a DEXA scan, that would be it in terms of Tanita scales. Cause every time we talk about this, we usually get questions about which scales. I think I've tried to commit this to memory. BF 6870 W is the one that I have from Tanita. You can find it on Amazon and it's like $50 and it's really, really good.
1: Yeah. We have that one and the Ironman branded one. We, yeah. we bought that just to see. And the You get on both of them and you get the same measurement. Yeah. So you just get more like extrapolations of the data. They say like, here's yeah. what your resting metabolic rate should be. Or you, it even says like, it's pretty close. What's your metabolic age. Yeah. And it says, I'm like a 12 year old, which is, <laughs> I don't know how useful it is, but
0: does that mean you should just eat or behave like a 12? I don't know. I don't know means. what, I don't know exactly.
1: So yeah. the extra money that you spend, I don't know if it's worth
0: it. Right. So those are the things that we use for that. Uh, next bit. Uh, we had a number of people. So we've, we've been revamping a number of our build plans and our our specialty plans and everything else we're going through them. And some of the workouts have gotten longer, uh, in the middle of the week. And we've had a few people asking questions on what do we do if I can't, and we've, we've answered this loosely, perhaps not as directly, uh, on the podcast, but what can you do if you're the type of person that was lucky to squeeze in an hour before, and you only have an hour and a half or in your workout calls for an hour and a half now?
2: Yeah. So I have gone through, in fact, uh, one of our, um, marketing, uh, people, Nick went <laughs> yeah. through and uh, built a spread list or a spreadsheet of all the workouts that were 90 minutes, or I think even two hour jobbers that didn't have shorter equivalents. And I just wrapped those up this morning. So everything in the training plans, the existing training plans is 90 minutes or longer. will have a 75 minute or a 60 minute equivalent. So it's the same workout. It'll be a minus one or minus two, something like that, but it's the same name it should be easy to find. And that's, that's one fix. Um, you can always just cut a workout short, you know, if, mm-hmm. if it's a 75 minute workout and you get, to that 60 minute point, just call it good. Um, I know a lot of people are going to be concerned with maintaining the, the intended amount of TSS, Mm -hmm. in which case you can fill that you don't necessarily have to fill it with intervals. I mean, if you're getting a a hefty interval workout and you do five of the six scheduled, and then you do an easy ride to make up for the remaining TSS that you missed, not exactly the same adaptation, but you still still got the hard work out in and you're keeping your TSS on the upswing.
0: Awesome. And once again, plan A is always stick to the plan. you you'll have guaranteed best results, but life happens and sometimes we have to change it. So, Let's go into BJ's question. He uh, has a question about cramming for a half Ironman. Nate, you, I think you know something about that. I know about cramming. <laughs> he says, I complete the two or I completed the two phases of your sweet spot. Base plan took two weeks off from cycling due to yoga teacher training, two to three yoga classes per day. And now I'm ready to continue training for Ironman Santa Rosa 70.3. I was thinking of easing back into the bike this week, which leaves five weeks of solid training, which at this point, he's probably a little closer to that point. Should I start the beginning start? at the beginning of the half distance triathlon specialty plan or partially through it. So I finished the latter portion of the plan in time for Ironman Santa Rosa.
2: First off, BJ, you're not exactly cramming for it. You've got 12 weeks of sweet spot base in your body. So Mm. that's far from cramming. You're already Mm. basically ready to race. Might not be a fast race, but you could probably do it. Um, Secondly, I don't know that I would recommend jumping straight to the specialty plan, especially at, uh, long distance or long course and ultra distance, you could just base train. Build training is kind of icing on that cake. And then specialty is like the cherry on top. So Mm -hmm. if anything, I would recommend that you jump into the build plan. Mm -hmm. And five weeks is kind of an awkward uh, gap to fill because it's, it's hard to load for four weeks and then take a recovery week. It's hard to load for three weeks, take a recovery week. And then what do you do with that extra week? So uh, you might, you might have to play with that a little bit. Uh, if you can take four weeks of loading and then a, a week of recovery prior to your race, that'd be the good, that'd be my recommended way to go. But if you notice after your own know, three weeks, you're starting to fall apart, you're going to have to take your recovery week then, and then just kind of figure out those remaining two weeks mm. or weeks. So,
1: yeah. So you might have a, a rest week earlier
0: too, right? Do you go yep. like two then
2: rest to do that too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can mix it up any way you want to just make sure, you know, your, your, uh, fitness is trending upward.
0: It all kind of depends on also, I don't know how much or how how refined your tapering strategy is BJ. Uh, everyone, everyone I speak to always notices they, they might have to taper in a slightly different way than another yeah, person. I'm not,
2: I'm not sure in this case, I mean, he's coming off a two weeks rest and he's only got four weeks to train. I don't think that's really going to merit a taper so much as mm-hmm. just a little bit of
0: refreshing, you know, a couple days sort of thing. Yeah. A couple days sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That probably makes sense. Nate, do you have any suggestions for him after preparing for is man with, I, I guess you could say you crammed, a, you had to cram a whole lot more than, than I BJ think I had, had what,
1: yeah. like. I forget how long.
0: Two it weeks? Wasn't long? It was, yeah, it was. I was like gone? Two weeks. But, but yeah, I
1: hadn't done anything. Yeah, but I hadn't done anything long. So yeah. Oh, yeah. it doesn't really apply to this. I agree with everything just Chad said. Awesome. Uh, Brand-
0: I concur. <laughs> Brandon, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast. You were at five stars per kilogram, but since you started including occasional interviews with industry folks, you've improved to 5.5 stars per kilo. Ooh, that's world class. Uh, that's a good, I guess, star per kilo ratio. I'm not sure how that works out, but he says it's possible. The improvement was due to Nate's weight loss, oh, Either but way, not this time. We're, we're down <laughs> yeah. 5.2. We're down. There we go. He says, I'm a very solid front of middle Pat guy. And just to repeat that. He He's saying that he's a middle pack guy, but toward the front of that middle pack on the bike and a 134 half marathon guy. So it's pretty quick. He says, My FTP is 290 and I weigh 160 pounds. In July, I am attempting the Silver King in Leadville, which is a 50 mile mountain bike race on a Saturday and a 50 mile run on the same course on Sunday. Oh, that sounds rough. It's big With weekend. 8,000 vertical going over and going over 12,000 feet in elevation four times. And that 8,000 vertical is obviously how much he's gaining. He says, I've done the mountain bike race, so I know the course. I'll be finishing up sweet spot base to mid volume and then moving into your sustained power build high volume plan for the final weeks. I'm also running between 50 to 60 miles per week. I'm running or I run Monday, Wednesday through Friday and Sunday. That seems like a lot of running. Okay. Right. Says I skip Sunday rides in favor of three to five hour runs. Will the sustained power, high volume plan destroy my legs as I continue to ramp my run volume and add in more trail running with vert? What additional modifications did you suggest? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh <laughs> my you Sounds you're rough.
2: Bumping up in the volume of the plan you're you're using. So already you're adding more bike stress and you're increasing your run stress. That's a recipe for breakdown uh-huh. right there. So first off, prioritize. Secondly, I don't think you need a, a higher volume plan. Um, I think you can just stick with that mid-volume mid-volume uh, trajectory that you're already on and then just supple- con- continue to supplement your runs as you are. And it sounds like you're favoring or prioritizing the run over the riding, which mm-hmm. is all good and fine. Just uh, be clear that y- you can't escalate both of those, especially... That's just a ton of work. And, and mm-hmm. unless you have experience with your, with doing something similar in the past and your body absorbed it and responded positively to it, I, I think this is a really bad idea.
1: Yeah. The,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we know Brandon too. Brandon came up with the Kona and said hi to us. We've yeah. been talking with him. Hey oh,
0: Brandon. Brandon. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah. the high volume, everyone else knows the high volume plans that we have are for special people that can take a high amount of stress. Yeah. I personally cannot take the high volume. Yeah. I, I yeah, try and cannot do it. It's tough. I just break down. So to do that and then run 50, 60 miles. Yeah, that's a lot. It's Mm. like um, if you were a professional triathlete at Kona, that might be what you take, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Um, But a lot of people don't have those genetics. So that... Or years of training experience that can allow something like that. Exactly.
0: Yep. Or they just don't have the ability to be able to offset that much work with recovery. If they're genetically capable Mm -hmm. in terms of doing the work, that's the tough thing that I find for myself is just how am I going to offset all that work? Like when I look at the training that I, that it's on my training plan, I think in my, in my life, okay, if I increase that, I also have to set aside enough time or change the way I'm living in one way or another Mm -hmm. in order to allow me to recover from all that. Because if I'm not going to be recovering from it, I'm just throwing work at me, and it's not getting absorbed. That's yeah. a lot of
2: tart cherry juice, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and Brandon. I
2: mean, that's an ambitious plan, and for that, I applaud you. But I hmm. think that uh, it's going to have to be one or the other, and even then, you're going to h- have to kind of uh, balance it pretty carefully.
1: I too, Brandon. I qu- I say you're a front of pack. If you're 290 FTP and 160 pounds, yeah. that's good. Oh, yeah, right? good man. That's, that's There's fast. That should be. The front
0: of the pack. Yeah. Yeah, You should be with the front group type of a thing on race day. Um, and I think this is pretty smart of him though is, I mean, this is quite the biathlon if you're thinking of it in terms of that, but this is pretty smart of him, I think to prioritize the run. So it seems at least, um, but I would really running. It's so difficult coming into that event. Brandon, I don't know exactly how you taper or anything else like that, but I, I would, you're going to be so fatigued after the 50 mile race coming into that run. I would definitely want to make sure that I would be fresh at least. So
1: I think there'd be more time to lose on the 50 mile run. I mean, there obviously yeah, is cause yeah. you're going slower. Yeah. So it would be better
2: to be more, more time on course. Yeah, exactly. And if you bury yourself the, the day prior over a 50 mile course, if you really get after it, mm. that run's going to be a real long one or a real short one.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. John, he says great podcast and love the pot or great product and love the podcast five stars. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. He says, I did sweet spot based mid volume one and two. And now that we are riding outside, I'm having a hard time maintaining a training regimen since the outside rides change things up. I'm 55, 210 pounds, and have an FTP of 240. I want to break through the next level and wanted to know how to best do it. Given the outside rides, I used to get dropped at 19 miles an hour, but now I hang in there most of the time. Thanks to trainer road. Well, good to hear, man. That's awesome. And he says the the rides I do are approximately 40 miles, and I take my turn on the front, which gives me some VO2 work. Not sure how to substitute these rides with any other training to get stronger, though. So let's cover that first. Uh, He has another question, which we'll get to. I'm sure Chad's excited to answer that one. But uh, I guess this one, breaking through a plateau is one thing that stands out to me, that he feels like he's hit a plateau subbing in group workouts or group rides outside. Mm-hmm. You kind of say goodbye to a lot of the intentional yeah, structure. You become
2: subject to everything else that's going on in the group. Mm. So it's uh it's really hard to maintain your structure if you're abiding by someone else's you know, tactics or whatever's going on in the group, someone else's plan. So it's, it's kind of an either or situation. Um, you can weave a structured workout into a group ride, but it's difficult and it's it's just not going to be that high quality. So it's kind of, you gotta choose which is more, more important to you doing those group rides or, you know, maintaining the structure and increasing to improve your fitness chat, yeah. chat or John, sorry. I said, Chad, um, <laughs> based on what? How much your t- stress you're taking right now, if you're in
1: the low volume plan, I'm guessing that 40 mile ride maybe is on the weekend, unless you're fortunate enough to be retired at 55, um, do two structured interval workouts during the week that are hard and then do that nice hard ride on the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not in it to win it, like national champ, enjoy those outside rides, yeah. but those yeah. two structured interval rides during the week will really help that ride on the weekend that with your friends and you can enjoy that. Um, if, you, if you can take more stress, that's when you start filling in the TSS filler. Maybe the day after that, that hard outside ride, you do more of a sweet spot or an endurance ride, either inside or outside, but it's, people get, I'm the same way, uh, there's actually an outside group right on this weekend and I'm like, oh, okay, there's going to be a climb and it's going to be 40 minutes. And if I do it at this percent of yeah. FTP, yeah. I can get this, like yeah. I overthink it a little bit. Yeah. Like I'm just, uh, now I'm like, let me just try to, I'm still overthinking it, but I went, <laughs> this is what I did. I went back and saw the previous times I've done that loop said, yeah. okay, it's going to be about 180 TSS. I then looked at my week and said, okay, if I do today's workout and I monitor and I go down and do Pettit at 40 plus that 180, I'll be 220. And then based on the rest of the TSS, I'm not going to go too hard for the week. I've already had two hard interval sessions this week of VO2 max and a um, supra threshold ride.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's how I'm thinking about it. And I'm not going to like ruin my outside ride with some friends. That's going right. to be enjoyable. But I'm still, it's not going to also ruin my training because I'm going to monitor step back today's ride so that I can do it tomorrow. And I, I think I've talked about this, but I'm doing this two days on, one day off thing. I'm really liking it with my collarbone, hard day, endurance day, day off. Mm-hmm. If I do tomorrow's ride, because it's a group scheduled ride, again, those group rides messing things up, it'll be a hard ride, endurance ride, big outsized group ride mm-hmm. and then a couple of days off. Exactly. So then I have to say, am I going to take just one day off or I'm going to take two days off? Mm-hmm. It's going to be, I'm planning on, I don't know, I, it's going to take a lot of Popeye's and again, <laughs> so, and yeah, just take
2: that first day off. And then when you get on the bike on the second day, if you're feeling up to it, you, you know, you ride, I wouldn't expect it to be anything higher than endurance pace. it will probably be an easy day. I was
1: thinking about doing an hour, but maybe, um, <clears throat> I was going to do a, like over unders, but I might make it a sweet spot workout. And then do endurance, day off, and then do my over-unders.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. I, something I like that. Err on the side of, uh, always err on the side of recovery instead of more stress. S- if there's especially a question, in your right? situation. Yeah. Still Consistency. Healing. Yeah.
1: Um, this brings up another point that I forgot to talk about. Ooh. So this is super important, and it's, it's, this is a huge insight that I think that has now changed the way that I am living my life day to day.
0: Oh, this, is, <laughs> this better be big. Is everyone ready? Wow. So wow. I've been on
1: my mountain bike, yeah. right, because more upright, on my SRM. My FTP was 275.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I lowered it from 310, 300 from the crash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have been working hard, and I've been doing some of the same workouts over and over again, and I've, I've gotten through that. I then raised my FTP to 290. Okay, I did two rides more on my mountain bike on my SRM. I had then switched that out with my cyclocross bike, which has a stages power meter on it. Mm-hmm. And I did that because Lost of Found's coming out, and I can now put a little more pressure on my shoulder. I did my first workout on that that uh, cyclocross bike, and I thought the stages was totally. Not in line with my SRM because it was so easy. I'm like my FTP just went up. This Mm -hmm. workout's totally easy. And like I said, I've been eating a lot more. We then got the DEXA scans, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and um, I did. I was like, oh my god, I'm fat and I didn't eat anything, like I started eating way less, I restricted myself, went to bed hungry, all that, didn't have any carbs in the morning. I then did Baxter, which is, I've been doing that a lot, which is just 90 minutes aerobic. Mm-hmm. Should It should feel very easy if your FTP is right. So on that same bike with the Stages, which, which I thought was different than the SRM, I did Baxter, and I had previously done Baxter on the SRM bike, so within six days I had done it. Baxter and SRM, backs are on stages, totally not eating right. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard um, on the stages. Mm-hmm. And my whole thought of the power meter is wrong went out of my brain. It's, it's me fueling my body wrong. Mm-hmm. And I have not found the balance between eating too much and not eating enough. There's, there's gotta be something in there so I can still get good workouts in. But, But what my brain thought of was a whole year ago when I was losing a bunch of weight, how each ride was really hard and my legs hurt. And I, you know, you guys have heard all the things that I've tried on. Um, I think I need to eat more calories to be able to keep gaining my FTP and then just not eat. It's again, I should be counting my calories, but, um, not eat so much that I gain fat at the same time. So that's just like, like I, I, it was cool that the decks of those freaked me out. Right. Right. And that messed me up so much as not eating anything in Chad, yeah, he under, just talked about the same thing <clears throat> happening, right?
2: Yeah. It's, it's undernourishment and you could just as well call it, uh, overtraining. I mean, you're basically doing more training than the nourishment you're providing your body can substantiate. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a form of overtraining. And we, sorry, Jonathan, go no, ahead. Go ahead.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, this is a great example of misattribution. Like a lot of the time we, um, especially with power meters or we may think that something is wrong and it, but examining all the different aspects of our life can bring forward a lot of variables that we may not have considered
1: yeah Chad even he said to me he goes no those rides where you think your power meter is broken that's a good ride that's a good day right? yeah, typically, typically yeah. yeah typically unless it really is broken <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but um, it's also I, I want to do this but it's such a pain in the rump is count my calories mm. and my I'm eating a lot of like home cooked food which makes it extremely hard like and, I'd have to weigh how much how one. much turkeys in my lunch and Grand put that on scale. Yeah, and, and how much cranberry that sauce that is next nobody. to that. Mm. I mean, you know who do it is bodybuilders. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I read a lot of bodybuilding forums. I like the science behind that. Those guys prep all their meals. I I think that cycling could learn something from bodybuilding about how <laughs> yes, I mean, they, the drugs. <laughs> they share one part. Yeah. <laughs> but the like how um, how much they track their calories and their macros mm-hmm. were cyclists. John that did some interviews with um, some chefs for some
0: pro teams yeah. and they were kind of just like, we just cook real food. Yeah. It just didn't... good food. That was basically kind of the the summary. I was really expecting something a little bit more data driven. Yeah. And sciencey, was, right? Yeah. And in the end it was just like, no, we just, you know, a lot of good food. And, and, and I know that there are chefs that are more specific about it. Right. And that's something that I think that you're, you're spot on though, Nate, like with power it's, and with, Tools like Trainer Road, and I know that sounds like a plug, but with power and the whole system of training around power, we can get so just knife's edge specific on the prescription of work, right, in Mm -hmm. our training. But, you know, recovery is a tough thing. Nutrition also is a really tough thing. We can't be quite as precise. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we can't make improvement on that side.
1: It should help. So what I'm going to be trying now, between now and the next EXA, is I'm going to eat. I'm not going to restrict myself. I'm going to try to, oh, a little bit. I'm not going to try to do Popeyes and big pizzas and all that kind of stuff and ice cream, but I will try to eat enough calories so I'm not going to bed hungry every night and, and you know, stay kind of topped up and get the CPAP and actually sleep. And, It's going to be a kind of, this will be a, it's not a very good test because I'm changing two things and being able to sleep is probably pretty huge. It's going to be big. But let's see what happens with my weight, my body fat and my FTP. Yeah, it'll be interesting. As long as I don't diet lost and found.
0: (laughs) Cutting back to John's question really quick. uh, Seeing as how you just finished sweet spot base and now you're riding outside, I'd really recommend looking at the general build plan and low volume, like Nate's mentioned, those two structured interval workouts you can do a week. Mm-hmm. I've always found that if I hit a plateau, if I look back at my diligence and following a plan, it's usually due to something like that. Or like we talked about, maybe it's malnourishment or, or lack of nourishment or anything else like that. So uh, his last yeah. question, oh, go ahead. If Nate. there's a
1: mistake, we've made it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, his last question, he says, can we hear why Chad picked the Domani with endurance geometry and how he is like, and that's, you had a giant TCR before, <laughs> which is like a, that's a full on full on race rig, typical race bike. So you'll have like a shorter head tube, steeper front, uh, steeper angle, meaning that the forks aren't quite as raked out. You might have like a slightly lower bottom bracket and it's just more of an aggressive position. Yep. The is the more endurance, more comfortable bike, right?
2: Yeah. But, but from what I read prior to making this purchase, they said that the demonic had balanced that geometry or the difference between those geometries pretty well. Mm. Um, on top of that, it's a really versatile bike. I mean, I know it's fun to collect bikes and have a bunch of bikes, but you know, he who has choice has torment, right? Now you, you're setting up for a race, and you first have to decide which bike am I going to ride? Then which wheels am I going to use? Which tires am I going to use? First world problems. It gets problems. so yeah. overcomplicated. That sounds <laughs> fun. It, it, to some extent, it is, but right. to, it, there's also you know a lot of beauty and simplicity, and I like the mm. idea of grabbing a bike, maybe putting on some different tires, and just rolling. Mm. So this bike is uh, very accommodating in terms of uh, a lot of different types of events.
1: Chad, could it be that you're getting older too, 45?
2: No, honestly, no. I can I can still ride the more s- severe geometries just fine. It's it's really not about that. I just like a bike that can do a whole lot. Because your TT bike is pretty severe. Oh, yeah. My TV, TT bike's about as extreme a position as a rider can endure. I'm not entirely you, sure I can endure it either.
1: But, uh, yeah,
2: what are you doing to your bars? Oh, yeah, I'm bringing the, the bars up. I, yeah, need, to, so, I need to come yeah. up like three or so four centimeters.
0: The one thing on this, too, uh, just to, to clarify, we I think we may have clarified this before, but um, Trek has just thrown alphabet soup at their bikes. So they have the Trek, Domane. SLR, that just means it's like their higher end carbon. Is that what I have? You have that yeah. one. Then there's also the RSL. He doesn't even know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, someone corrected us on it and I wanted yeah. to make sure I It's confusing it right. because there's the SLR, what you have, which is the high end carbon. Then the, the RSL is called their race shop limited. <laughs> and that's why I'm confused. And RSL, the, SLR, come on. Right, yeah. right. And <laughs> that the, makes uh, sense. Yeah, right. So the RSL has a super short head tube, like a race bike, more agra- full on aggressive geometry. But what it retains is the ISO speed decoupler in the front and in the back. What so, an adjustable so, one in the back. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got basically your head tube is, has like a, um, imagine a pin going through your head tube and then your, or forgive me, the steer stem of your fork, right? The part that sticks up from your fork. Imagine a hole going through that and a pin anchoring it to your frame. And then it's thin enough that it can actually flex. It's it designed it to flex. It a four aft play. Mm-hmm. So the fork gives you four aft flex. And then for the set, for the seat, you've got this hinge point again, or I should say for the seat tube, you've got a hinge point. And then you've got a really cool thing on your bike. Cause you can mm-hmm. slide this, basically this, uh, this collar up your seat tube. So then that either chokes down on the amount of flex it can give in the seat tube or
2: it opens it up more. Yeah. And cool. when it's fully opened, if you watch their little video in slow motion, there's quite a lot of movement going on there. there it's, it's a lot of play.
1: I understand the seat post, and that gives you more compliance, which is the mm. the the roads don't feel as bumpy mm-hmm. without losing some of the stiffness when, when you're riding hard. But why, Jonathan, would you want four-aft play in handlebars? Because a lot of people talk about you get a headset that's loose, mm-hmm. you get the speed oh, wobbles. Yeah, no. mm-hmm. So why would you want that in the... Yes.
0: The the key thing is that it is not just loose. It's not free play, but it's actually quite resisted in the sense that the fork has to flex and that's a carbon structure. It's designed to flex, but it takes a lot to flex it. Uh, The reason for that is because they want to make, think of it in this way. If you can maintain traction, number one, uh, and that will be done by allowing your wheels to stay on the ground more over impacts. If you can maintain traction, your bike will be more stable, but also what that does (laughs) is that transfers less jarring up through your body. Now the interesting thing is it's not vertical like up and down Cushioning or, or compliance you're getting. This is fore and aft, mm-hmm. but if you think about a lot of the bumps that you hit on a bicycle, the fore and aft. There's a lot of fore and aft energy going on there too when you hit a bump, so that helps alleviate that. It's kind of the you know it's it's 90 degrees if you will from what specialized is trying to do with their future shock thing, the squishy, the the spring loaded head tube. But so it's front suspension almost. It yeah it is. Yeah, it's it's and, one and, form of it. And, yeah and perhaps it's better said as like um, just isolation. It's trying to it's really just trying to isolate some of the energy that gets passed through that fork from transferring up to it's you. It's
2: a pretty remarkable design. I mean, I feel like a broken record because I've said this so many times, but it's its the most responsive bike, yet the plushest. I don't know how mm. you can have both those things, but I do.
0: And you did have to, it does have a pretty tall head tube, so you did have to bring your stem down a lot, right? Yeah, but I've actually balanced that out, kind of gone midway between the two extremes, okay. and it's, it's its fitting really well right now. Yeah, Because that's traditionally one of the downsides, and, and sorry to get onto the bike nerd stuff, but I rode a $16,000 bicycle this weekend uh, or the down to sea otter it's crazy expensive but it was titanium and it was handmade and after talking to the person it was handmade for because baum is the company and they don't make they don't mass produce bikes they only make custom ones for each person Uh, this bike doesn't have that upright geometry that a lot of endurance bikes have that kind of put takes your weight onto the rear wheel instead of keeping it on the front. It had race geometry, but being titanium, it was super comfy. And I thought that that compromise is really cool. I see a lot of people going for endurance bikes because they want comfort or they want whatever else comes with those endurance bikes. And they sacrifice a lot of handling a lot of the time because their head tube's so high Mm -hmm. and they're shifted to the back of the bike. You don't have weight over your front tire, so it's not planted. So it feels nervous. So it's really cool to see these things happening and making us faster in the end, I guess. So. Um, let's go into Jeff's question. He says, "I started using trainer road this off-season for the first time last year in mid-November. This is 2 weeks after my A-race last year, Iceman, and I tested at an FTP of 247. My latest test last week was an FTP of 284. I love the program." Woo. That's pretty sweet. Perfect. Yeah, and he says, "Uh, mountain bike is my primary focus and my first A-race of the year is May 6th. It's Mud, Sweat and Beers in Traverse City, Michigan." I've heard of that one. Um, they have really cool one Races up there like that. They have the the Iceman thing, like you mentioned too. Pretty cool. Says we have a great trail system here, and you should come ride. Okay, yeah, sure, good deal. <laughs> yep, sounds good. He says, "Here's my question. My weakness has always been leg strength. I'm 45. I'm six foot four inches, so tall guy. Nate, not not quite as tall as you, right? Sort of tall. <laughs> How tall are you? Six six. Good to know. Okay, hey, he's 180 to 185 pounds, and have skinny legs. Although I tested at 284, and that's his FTP. My legs blow up during workouts that have me riding at 110 to 120 percent FTP. Conversely, if riding in the 85 to 95% range. I can complete the workouts without a problem. Would it be better to use a lower FTP for the workouts above thresholds so that I can complete them? Or should I continue what I am currently doing, which is start the workout. And then in the later intervals, dial back the intensity when it is needed.
2: Uh, so Jeff, it <coughs> sounds like you have basically you're lacking a uh, high end, high aerobic capacity, um, or high aerobic end. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. But the fact is you have super good muscle endurance and you can ride at th- uh, percentages a little below your threshold for a long time. But when you try to really push it and really maximize your, your aerobic uptake, it's just not really there. So that whole, um, you know, VO two max being the ceiling uh, threshold being the roof, raise the roof. At some point it comes too close to the ceiling. You just don't have any more room. You have to address your aerobic capacity. You can do that with long, slow stuff and you can also do it with short hard stuff and that's what you're encountering right now it's just you're you're struggling with them so basically that intensity is requisite you can't you can't duck out on that intensity you can't start the workout high and then finish it low and expect the intended adaptation you have to start it high and keep it high and if that means making the intervals a little shorter making the recoveries in between them a little longer there's a lot of ways you can do it but that intensity is necessary so you have to work on growing your vo2 max your aerobic capacity and those short hard intervals are the way to do that
1: Hmm. How about, um, we just did, I just did this workout yesterday, but Mount Deborah. So it's, it's yeah. like seven intervals between 106 to 110%. Yeah, so that's
2: kind of low-end VO2 max, and that might be a good place for you to start. Um, personally, I would like you to do higher intensity, or if I were coaching you, I'd recommend keeping the higher intensity, just shortening the duration. So doing something like Gandharm, which is 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, growing that into something like Baird or Bashful, where it's minute on, minute off, and then they go to 90 seconds, gradually upticking the, the duration of these high-intensity efforts would be that's how i would do it for me that's how i'd do it for anybody i was coaching in your shoes what about chad let's do
1: tuesdays that (laughs) And then on the Thursdays, the other day, Absolutely. Mount Deborah, which is that what I just described. And then there's a progression between Mount Aliska, 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 <laughs> don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a uh, Mount foraker mm-hmm. and it kind of makes those a little bit longer and I a think, little bit more intense.
2: I, I've just designed something like that. So it's either in the climbing road race or rolling road race. I think race this is actually from uh, rolling road race, rolling road race. Yeah, I think that's I think almost so. exactly the, Yeah, I think that's an awesome balance, which yeah. is why I've so look designed at the, it like Exactly. <laughs>
1: <Here we are. laughs> Made me just sound smart until you said you were designed it. That's why I read it from because <laughs> so I actually I picked some of those out from that plan. Mm-hmm. That's why I said it. So yeah. doing those together should help him increase it. Absolutely. But, again, though, though, just the I'm just going to turn it down. We don't
2: like that. Yeah, don't do that. <clears throat> you can do that if you're say you have a sweet spot workout that's at ninety percent, and by dialing it down to eighty five percent, you you can make it work. Mm. In situations like that, you're still. Deriving the same intended benefit, but when we're trying to you know maximize a particular uh, energy system and you tone it down you're you're you getting away from what we're what we're after
1: so in general just to reiterate what you just said if you can't do your vo2 max efforts maybe try to find other versions of that workout with Shorter time, but at that same percentage, maintain the intensity. Yeah. And then as you can finish that workout and the next workout, that's a little bit longer Mm -hmm. and a little bit longer and a little bit longer, which is already built in. Sorry, Chad, already built into some of our plants. Correct.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that intensity doesn't have to be spot on 120%. You may find out that Mm -hmm. you can make this work at 115% and you know that maybe that eventually rises to 118%. It doesn't have to be this hard number every time, but it does have to be, pretty rigorous. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's never going to be a, a pleasant affair. What? It- Oh, go ahead, Nathan. I think
1: too. With base, what he's saying, he says, I have skinny legs, mm-hmm. which they're not skinny, man. They're arrow, <laughs> but, yeah, right? And <laughs> strength
2: isn't what we're after here. This is this is metabolic efficiency, so this is uh, it's something else. We're not looking to sprint hard for eight seconds at a thousand plus watts. You're looking to maintain a really high aerobic uptake and and put out or do quite a lot of work for you know two and three minutes at a time. That's what I wanted to address is that I think he wants us to say. You know, squat two twenty five no. five times. That's not what you're after, right here. I mean, it's not to say that strength couldn't benefit you somehow, but that's uh, it's not the way I'd recommend addressing mm-hmm. it.
1: And the other thing, just feeling that, just going back to what I've said before, when I I think there is a correlation for me is when I or causation actually when I don't eat enough. My legs are more fatigued.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I feel it more in my legs, and my I'm not breathing as hard, but my yeah. legs
2: just hurt so bad. And you get like mm-hmm. muscle soreness because you're not allowing them to heal. I
1: mean, mm-hmm. you're not providing
2: with yeah. the nutrients necessary to heal. Yep. So Compounds. that might be something to look at, or
1: you know, look in the mirror at, at that thing.
0: And you guys have covered the the physical side of things and which workouts to do pretty comprehensively. So the last thing that I would add to this is how much of this is also mental. You mentioned the skinnier arrow legs, like you said, Nate, and I um I know that I've always in my mind told myself that I'm not good at steady state work. Science might even back that up. But recently over the past few months, I have really just put that out of my mind, worked really hard on mentally reconditioning myself into thinking that that isn't hard and that I can do it just as well as I can do short, hard efforts. And you know what? It's paid off. I've Uh, noticed that it's so much more manageable. It's
2: an interesting point. I've I've jumped into VO two max intervals before, you know, three minute uh, efforts and just fell apart. Uh, acted up to, you know, maybe spent a week going from one minute to two minute to three minute, which is a really quick escalation Mm -hmm. and tells me, you know, my fitness didn't change that much in a week, but my Mm -hmm. mental state did. And and I was able to do those workouts. So, so there is absolutely a physiological component.
1: One more thing before we end something else that I've changed in my training recently is I have stopped watching TV on my intense workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, on my endurance ones, I still do it, but on the intense ones now I've switched it. I have made my own playlist of like music that I listened to in high school and college. It's way harder than I look. It's like <laughs> deftones down and
2: stuff like that. But it makes you go fast. It I know. And then I hard.
1: put on, um, on YouTube, there are some, there's a guy, I don't know his name, but you just Google it. And there's cyclocross racing, first person stuff, not cyclocross, cross country. Mm-hmm. And he's got like 90 minute races. He's a pro in Southern California. And I would just watch those and I have the music on and I am, Blowing through intervals that like it's it lowers the RP. And I'm yeah, doing this yeah. because of the um how bad Do you want a book. They said that yep. one the visual motivation of watching those races mm-hmm. and then the um music. the music. The music being the number one is I've actually did some without any video stuff, just the music and it just gets me yeah. way more focused on doing the hard
2: work. Yeah, that may or may not be the case with Jeff, but um regardless, there is always a big psychological component, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to hard workouts.
0: Yeah. yeah, so take care of the physical stuff and then address even the psychological stuff, you can always make gains in a lot of different areas. So thanks everybody for submitting your questions. You can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Uh, we'll go through them again next week and we will answer them for you on this ep- or on the next episode. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.